Okay, today's sermon is called Baywatch. Um, just in case you, you don't know what Bay means, ask the person next to you. Uh, unless she's Kathleen, no, just kidding. <laughs> okay, I want to start today. Uh, I want to show you the 10 Bay Commandments. Have you heard of them? 10 Bay Commandments, okay? It's great advice for when you eventually uh, have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Obviously, it is not from the Bible, okay? It is from this American youth pastor called Chris Derso, but I, I quite like it. So here are the 10 Bay Commandments. Commandment number one, God is Bay over every other Bay. <laughs> Obviously, right? So, you know, you have a boyfriend or girlfriend um, or any other relationship or thing for that matter should not be more important than God, okay? Like, you shall have no other gods before me, right? So God is Bay. Over every other bay, Bible over bay every day. Bay can't stay, bay only plays. Okay, if the person's not serious about God, not serious about relationship, he's GTG, got to go, okay? If he wants a date with no thought toward marriage, don't worry, I'll send it to you, okay? I'll send it to you, okay? Okay, <laughs> number four, guard your heart. Okay, this is from the Bible, okay? Proverbs 4.23, above us, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your affections, for they influence everything in your life. Okay, number five, Bay is on their way with no delay. Okay, God's timing is perfect. If Bay has not arrived, it doesn't mean there's a delay. Okay, the, the one for you, your partner for life, will come at the right time. Number six, singleness is not a struggle. We talked about this, right? Um, Paul, Jesus, they were single. Uh, they affirmed singleness. Even if you never get married in your life, it's fine. Okay? Marriage is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. Number seven, don't lay with Bay until your wedding day. Okay? Last week we talked about this, right? Sex is great, but it needs to be in the appropriate context. And the only appropriate context is marriage. Okay? One man, one woman, covenant relationship for life. The, the other version I've heard is, if Bay wants sex, he needs to be your ex. Okay? Yeah, it's easy for you to remember, right? Okay, or she. Let's not be sexist, okay. Number eight, uh, Bay needs boundaries. Uh, and I, I'm telling you, when you start dating, the temptation to get physically intimate will be intense. Okay, I, I'm telling you, we are, we are sexual beings. We have sexual attraction. We have sexual feelings. That's how we're designed. But we need to have self-control until the appropriate uh, context. Okay, so... Set boundaries for yourself when you, when you start dating. Um, you know, some common things like no being in a room alone with the door closed, right? Don't travel together, etc. those kind of things, okay? Bay ain't bay. If bay don't pray, if bay doesn't have a close relationship with God, it's a no. God is, your, God is your highest priority in life, right? So it doesn't make sense to enter an exclusive, special relationship with someone to whom God is not even a priority, okay? And bay ain't bay just for today. So we talked about this. You date with a view towards marriage. If not, then what's the purpose? Okay, do you like this? Easy to remember? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I've ca I called the message today Baywatch because um, I really like the show. <laughs> Just kidding. I've never watched it in my life. I'm, I'm serious. I've never watched it. I, I think there was, a, there was an updated version, right, with uh, Zac Efron and The Rock. The Rock. Yeah, it's actually a really old show, you know. Um, but today, I want to talk about what we need to watch out for when we have a bay. 
Ah, get it, okay. Uh, and, and today, um, I want to look at the life of Samson, okay? How many of you read the four chapters? Okay, very good, Stefan. <laughs> I see your hand. <laughs> now, I, I know it's probably a familiar story, um, but I believe that there, there's much to learn from it, okay? Last week, we looked at the song of songs and what lessons we can learn from there. And today, we're going to look at uh, lessons we can learn from the life of Samson, okay? So before we do that, let's, let's pray bow our hearts today and let's ask God to speak to us today. Father, we thank you and we worship you and God, we, we fully acknowledge that all scripture is God-breathed and we thank you for your word. Father, we ask that today you will give us a fresh hunger for your word, give us a deep understanding of the truth of your word so that our lives may be transformed and that we may live in holiness and obedience to you because you are our God, you are our, our saviour, you are our king. And you are our Lord. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to each of us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start by turning to Judges chapter 13. Okay, I hope you brought your Bibles and your notebooks. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Give them a Bible high five. Yeah, the older the Bible, the better. No, I mean the, like, look at Justin's Bible, that's the... The Bible is like jialat condition. It's the best, okay? Okay, turn to the other person that you didn't talk to and say, I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you today. No, not you. I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you today. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to talk about the, the story of Samson, okay? What do you think of when... When we say Samson, when we talk about Samson, hair, strong, muscle, okay? Gou oh, right, gouging out of eyes. Yeah. Do you ever think of like um, Rapunzel? You know, like, because he never cut his hair, right? He has this long magic hair, right? Yeah. Or, or maybe, do you think of a, you know who is this? James Bond? Why? Because he, he's, he's, you know, he's, they're both like strong. They can fight a lot of people. You know, they don't care what people say. They're, they're quite cocky and confident in their own ability. They take all these crazy risks, right? And they work alone, right? They work alone. They, they don't have like a team or a gang. And totally ladies' man, right? Does he remind you of James Bond? Okay, similar, but maybe not, because... Like, because Bond is like suave and smooth, right? But Samson is like, <laughs> I don't know, he's just like killing people, okay. But you know, I think if we, if we think of Samson um, by worldly standards, um, he can be pretty cool, right? Like he's like the, the mankind. Do you agree? He's like the real mankind. But, um, but actually, he ended up a real mess, right? Um, and today I want to talk to you about three P's today, okay, Samson's potential, Samson's pride, and Samson's prayer. So let's look at Samson's potential, okay, turn to Judges 13, um, I, I hope you've read it, but let me just quickly summarize. Samson basically has a, he has a kind of like a miraculous birth story, right, an angel appears to the mother and tells her that she's going to have a baby, and this baby will save his people. Does this sound familiar? 
right? Does that sound familiar? So from the start, from the start of his life, God had his hand upon this child, right? God had called Samson out for a purpose. Like that verse in Jeremiah 1.5, right? Before Samson was born, God had set him apart, appointed him as deliverer of his people, right? And, and the angel tells his mom in uh, chapter 13, verse 7, that he will be a Nazarite to God, okay? He will be a Nazarite. And if you look at Numbers chapter 6, that will explain to you what a Nazarite is, okay? So for Samson, the angel says that he will be a Nazarite from the womb to the day of his death, right? Actually, Numbers 6 talks about a Nazarite vow. So it's possible to take the Nazarite vow for like a period of time, okay? Um, and the purpose of taking such a vow is to dedicate and devote yourself to the Lord, right? The Bible says, separate yourself to the Lord. And Nazarites, they couldn't drink wine. They couldn't drink any strong drink. In fact, they couldn't have anything from the vineyard. So they can't even eat grapes. They can't drink like grape juice. They can't eat like raisins because there's dried grapes. And the Bible even specifies they can't eat the skin or the seed of the grapes even. Although I don't know why you would want to eat like grapes skin, right? Nothing from the vineyard, okay? Um, there are also rules like they couldn't go near a dead body at all, okay? Because that would make them ceremonially unclean. So for example, if you're a Nazarite and you're just walking with a friend and like he drops dead and dies, you are unclean, okay? Because you're, you're, you're just, so you have to like go and shave your head and, and you know, make the offering and, and all that kind of thing, okay? So it's a bit like fasting, you know, some, some, uh, maybe some of you have practiced fasting. As a Nazarite, you would say no to normal, natural things like, like wine, right? The Bible says no drunkenness, but the Bible doesn't say you cannot drink wine. Or Jesus drank wine. Uh, he made wine. You say no to natural things like cutting your hair, right? Or, or grapes. And, and you say no to all these things so that we would always say yes to the greater thing, the single greatest thing, which is God, okay? So it's, it's very much like fasting, right? Because there's nothing wrong with food, obviously, right? But when we fast, we say for this period, we're giving up this normal thing called, for example, lunch, so that we can be so focused on you, God. We want to devote ourselves to you so much to such an extent that even lunch doesn't matter. We don't want that lunch, okay? So it wasn't that there was something magical about Samson's hair, Right? It's not like Rapunzel, you know, you, you touch the hair, then like the mother got Botox or something like that, right? It's not that his hair was, was, was magical, but it was that not cutting his hair represented devotion and obedience to God, right? And the angel said, for Samson, he's supposed to be a Nazarite from the womb, right from the moment he's born until the day of his death, which means his entire life is supposed to be set apart, consecrated, dedicated to God. So you see, from the start, Samson's life was marked for God, right? There was so much potential in him to do great things for the Lord. He had these special gifts, right? And so actually, if you stop reading at Judges 13, you would think this guy is going to be great, right? This guy has destiny and God's calling. He has purpose. He is set apart. But if you read on, you know that, that that's not what happened. And he didn't live up to that calling, and you know, Lao Jen, I, I believe in the spiritual potential of each one of you here. You know, I mean, I, I pray this over you guys all the time. And I fully believe that God has destiny and calling for you. That He has set you apart for His purposes. And He can do great things with your life. 
I believe this completely. That is why I do what I do, right? That is why I'm your youth pastor. But you know, over the years, I've seen many drop out of their calling. And, and may I add that actually it often starts when they begin dating the wrong person. Someone who doesn't love Jesus um, or someone who doesn't take him seriously. And, and I, I've seen many lose the calling and, and just lose their way. Um, I, I've seen people who are even cell group leaders, worship leaders, you know, people who are very actively serving when they're youths, passionate, fired up for God. And then somewhere along the way, they, they lost the fire or they, they lost their way completely. And I want to say loud, Jen, protect God's calling on your life. Protect His calling. And today, as we look at the life of Samson, you know, it's not just about the rules, like, like don't do this, don't do that. Even though, by the way, Samson broke all these rules, right? He does all these things that he's not supposed to do, right? He eats honey from a lion's carcass, you know? He's not even supposed to be near a dead body, but he goes and scoops out honey and eats it from there. So it's not about the rules, but I hope one thing you take away today is this. Don't lose your spiritual calling. You know, God has called you, called us, right, as disciples of Jesus. God has called you to a life of holiness, of being His disciples, of, of being His witnesses, of walking in obedience and intimacy with Him, right? And 2 Peter 1, 3 says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for godliness, for godly life. And so, Lao Jen, I want to encourage you to rise up to that calling that God has on your life. And don't throw it away by choosing to walk in disobedience with no regard for the ways of the Lord. Take your spiritual life seriously. Take it seriously. Samson didn't take it seriously. And rise up to your spiritual potential because God has set you apart. He set you apart for His purposes and for His glory. And so this is Samson. He has a lot of potential, but he didn't live up to it. And, and I feel that a big reason was his pride. Okay? Now, if you've read the story, you will know that this guy constantly gets into trouble. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's always stirring, you know. It, it's, like, it's like he has no self-restraint. He just does whatever he wants. He's like unafraid of consequences. And I don't know, maybe he thought like that's being a real man or like that, you know, that, that's just, I just do whatever I want. And, and I think Samson is a clear example of the chaos and the trouble that we can get into when we disobey God. And especially when we get into romantic or sexual relationships against God's will. And I want to suggest that all this trouble that we see Samson get into stems from a prideful attitude within him that said, whatever it is, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. That was kind of his attitude, right? I can handle it. You know, I don't need to stick to my Nazarite vows. It's fine. I just do whatever I want. I still have the Spirit's power. You know, I still have this magic hair and I'm still strong enough. And, and I believe that the story of Samson is really a warning of what can happen when we don't take our sin and our compromises seriously enough. And we just think, doesn't really matter. And so, after we read of Samson's miraculous birth in, in Judges 13, right? I mean, it's like a whole divine event, right? The angel ascends into flame and, and all that. So after we read all that, we are prepared for him to assume his role as judge, the book of Judges, right? As judge and hero, deliverer. But right at the start of the next chapter, the first thing we see him do is demand a foreign wife, right? He says, 
get her for me. That's what he tells his, his you know, he sees a woman, he's like, get her for me. He tells his father, right? And, and his parents try to convince him, like, don't do this, you know, this is clearly not, this is what God has clearly told the Israelites not to do. Don't marry foreign wives because they will turn your heart away with their worship of foreign gods, right? So his parents say, oh, come on, boy, choose someone from our own people. Can't you choose someone from here? But Samson, like, <clears throat> well, uh, many young people, ignore his parents uh, and refuse to listen. And he's just like, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes, right? And his parents are like, come on, aren't there suitable women from our people? Like, why? Why must you go take this wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Why must you do this? And his reply is, because she pleases me, because she's hot. Okay, not literally, but, you know, some versions, he says, she looks good, or I want her, or I like her, right? So basically, his parents are like, why? And he's just like, I like. It's like, like my kids, you know, like, like my daughter, like, can you buy this toy for me? Why? I won. What do you mean? Why must I buy it for you? I just won. No. <laughs> But I think, you know, the, the ESV translation expresses it best. She is right in my eyes, right? And that's what Samson does. He does what is right in his own eyes instead of God's, right? The whole, the whole story, we see this. And, you know, um, I, I think we can sort of tell that his fatal weakness, right? His big weakness was women and specifically Philistine women, right? But actually, on a deeper level, I think if you think about it, it's, it's his pride. It's like, if I want it, I'm going to get it. If I want to do it, I'm just going to do it. I don't care about my Nazarite vow. I don't care about what God says. I don't care what my parents says. If I see her, if I see a woman, I want her, I'm going to get her. If I see that honey, I want it, I'm going to take it. I don't care if it's in a dead lion's body, right? I, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because whatever happens, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. Right? So that, that this seems to be his attitude. He's, he's very cocky and a lot of pride in him. And, and we see this um, displayed at his wedding feast. Right? If you look at verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12. So Samson comes up with a, a kind of bet. Right? And notice how, by the way, he's the one who started it. Okay? It's not like he's provoked or you know, people like, threaten him or whatever. He just comes up with this like, ridiculous riddle. I mean, what is that about? I don't know whether like, maybe you've translated it in the Hebrew. It makes more sense. But... Like, he comes out with this strange riddle, right? And, and he makes a bet with the men there. If you can answer my riddle, um, I will give you 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't answer me, you give me 30 sets of clothes. I don't know, why do you need 30 sets of clothes? Now, what he probably didn't think of when he was doing this um, is that he actually put his wife, his new bride, in, in a difficult situation, right? She's a Philistine, and so her people are like, Hey, why your foreigner husband like that? Huh? You better tell us the answer to this ridiculous riddle. And, and they actually threaten her, right? They threaten to burn her and her family if she doesn't find out the answer. Therefore, in verse 16, she does that Korean drama thing, right? Or I don't know, Chinese, whatever. She's just like, you hate me. You don't love me. I don't know. Do they do that in Korean drama? I don't know. And, like, you know, she's like, you she's like hitting him, like thinking it actually hurts, right? And, and, and he's just like, what la? I mean, I didn't even tell my parents. What should I tell you, right? Um, and if you look at verse 17, it says, she cried the whole seven days of the feast. 
Okay, just imagine, they just got married. It is their wedding party, right? And the whole time, the bride is like, ah, you don't love me, right? Just ludicrous. It's not, I mean, not a good start to the marriage, I would say. And so what happened? Eventually, Samson caved, right? On the seventh day, he told her the answer. Look at verse 17. Because she continued to press him. So she just pressed, you know, she, she, she cried and she pressed him and finally he gave in. And, and, and so because of that, he lost the bet, right? Because um, the wife told the guys, the, the men, the, the answer and he lost the bet. So of course, Samson was angry, but he just sorted it out, right? He just he sorted it out. Okay, fine, fine. Lost the bet. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. He just went somewhere, killed 30 men and be like, nah, here are the clothes. And he just like fumed off. Burning with anger, right? Verse 20, burning with anger, he went back to his father's house and left the bride there. Okay? Next chapter, chapter 15, he decides to go and see his wife. Okay? Actually, verse 1 says, I'm going to my wife's room. Right? So some translations actually say, I'm going to sleep with her. Okay? So he, he goes there, he wants to go to his wife and, and sleep with her. But he realized that she has been given to another man. So he's understandably angry, even though he abandoned her. And in verse 3, he says, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. So probably he knew that the last time he didn't have a right. He was in the wrong, right? He caused, you know, caused all this chaos with his silly riddle. So he says, This time I have a right. And then he went to catch 300 poor foxes, right? And those. Uh, he tied like two of, it says he tied two of them together, put a torch on their tails, and then let them loose among the Philistines' grain and burn up everything, right? So, of course, Philistines got angry. They burned his wife and her father. Samson got angry at that. He starts killing all these other people. Philistines get angry again. They want to attack back. And so they go and camp near these men of Judah who are like, oh my goodness, what do we do? Right? And the Philistines say, we're here for Samson. Okay? And, and so the men of Judah, and by the way, these are the men that he's supposed to be protecting, right? Deliverer of Israel. Right? The men of Judah, um, they, they tell Samson like, hey, uh, can we not get involved? Right? Like, why, why are these people here? And Samson says, okay, okay, don't worry. I'm strong enough. I can handle this. Just tie me up. Tie me up and give, it, give me to them. Okay, so that's what they did. Um, but of course, eventually he just broke through the ropes, takes a donkey's jawbone as his weapon, and then killed a thousand men. Like, I mean, that's how strong he is. It's really like some, I mean, if you imagine it, right? Like, it's really like some epic action movie. Like, how does one man, you know, it's like those movies where like one person can defeat a thousand people, okay? But you see, it is a senseless cycle of violence and vengeance that Samson gets into, right? You know, he behaves almost like a terrorist, right? He's, he just reacts in anger, um, no thought of how his actions affect other people, right? And other people have to pay for his violence. His wife, her father, the men of Judah. And you know, when his people, the men of Judah, they tell him, what have you done to us? You know, the Philistines are here. His response is like, it's like the emoji, you know? And he's just like, he reacts like, like a kid. They started it, what? 
Verse 11, I merely did to them what they did to me. Right? That's what he says. So he's supposed to be deliverer of Israel. And, and yeah, sure, he's killing Philistines. But I'm not sure we're seeing a deliverance. And then we get to chapter 16. Verse 1. Trouble always starts when Samson wants a woman. Right? At first it was, get her for me. And then it leads to this you know, wedding party fiasco. 30 men are killed just so he can pay off a bet. Um, I want to sleep with her now. In the end, wife and father-in-law get, get, get burnt. 300 foxes forced to become like suicide bombers. 1,000 men die. Right? Trouble ensues. And now in chapter 16, he goes to a prostitute. Can you imagine? He's supposed to be a Nazarite. This is like way beyond breaking your Nazarite vow. It's a common morality. But he goes, the deliverer of Israel goes to a prostitute. And in Gaza, Philistine territory. And so, okay, the Philistines plot to kill him. And, and you know, okay, he escapes because he's so strong. Um, you know, tears down, carries off the doors to the gate. And, and he escapes. But if you look at the three women in the story, there are three women in the story, right? First, his wife. Next is the prostitute. And then finally, there is Delilah. Okay? And Samson's desire for them sparks off all this trouble that he gets into. Right? And, and I think Samson's story is, is really a clear lesson for us about the trouble that we can get into when we disobey God and we ignore what he says about the people we date and the people we get into a relationship with. And by the way, all these three women are non-believers. Right? They are foreign women who don't worship the God of Israel. And one is a prostitute. And the last woman, the only one who is named, is the one who brings, out his, his, brings about his ultimate downfall. Now, I don't know if when you read the, the, the Delilah story, you're like shouting at your book. You know, that's what I do. Like, sometimes I read and I shout at the book, you know, or like shout at the TV. Dude, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? Like, what? Do you not feel that when you read the story? Like, why? Is, firstly, why is he always hanging out in her bedroom? Right? Clearly, he's, they're not married. Or what, what's he doing? And I think most of you know the story, right? The Philistine rulers um, offer her money to betray him. And so she bugs Samson to tell her the secret of his strength. And in an echo of his disastrous wedding day, Delilah, firstly, she plays the you don't love me card. You don't love me, right? exactly like his wife. In chapter 14, okay, it says, Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You don't really love me. And then it's the same thing. It's the same thing with Delilah. She said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? Girls, don't do this, okay? Don't, don't do this. You don't love me because you didn't buy me that thing or you didn't take me to that place and all oh, the boyfriends are doing that. Don't you see it on Instagram or whatever? You hate me. You don't really... Don't do it, okay? FYI, I'm preaching to myself as well. How can you say I love you when you don't let me buy those shoes? <laughs> don't do it, Joanne, okay? Secondly, she managed to get him because basically she wore him out. That was his tact. That was the... It's, it's very typical female tactics, okay? You don't love me, and then nag him. Look at verse, uh, chapter 14 says, she wept for seven days, and finally, because she pressed him hard, right, she pressed him hard, he caved, he gave in. 
And Delilah does the same thing. She pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him until his soul was vexed to death. He cannot thank already. Right? The NRV says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death for it. Basically, Samson fell for the same tactics. He didn't learn his lesson. And you know, he should have gotten out of this relationship with Delilah long ago, right? The signs were all there. I mean, surely he knew this girl was trouble. I mean, all that crazy, weird stuff about tying him up. Can you imagine like you're in her room? Every time you take a nap, you wake up and you're tied up. And oh, there are Philistines in the room. And like, this doesn't even happen just once. It happens three times, right? Why? Surely you know there's some kind of shady business going on, right? What is, what, what is Samson's problem? Does he think it, did he think it was a joke? I think he did, you know. I honestly think that he thought it was a joke. Like maybe he knew this girl was trouble, but he just thought, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. You know, tied up. Ha ha ha. Right? And, and he just thought it was a joke. And so he continued going to Delilah until verse 17. Verse 17 says, he told her everything. He told her his secret. And you know, I, I find it so ironic. Okay, So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because... I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. Oh, really? Then why are you there in that room? Right? I mean, he says that. You know, what are you doing in a foreign woman's bedroom if you're a Nazarite set apart to God since birth? And then look at verse 19. He is sleeping in her lap when his hair is shaved off. If you're not married, don't be sleeping in your boyfriend or girlfriend's lap, Okay? This is what happened. This is what happens. Where's the scary picture? Next slide, please. This is what happens if you go sleep in your girlfriend's lap. Okay? I hope if you're ever tempted to lie in your girlfriend's or boyfriend's lap, this image will be seared in your mind. This is what will happen. And verse 20, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. No worries. As usual, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. And you're like, wait, why would you think that? You already told her your secret. Like, is Samson delusional? I don't get it, right? Why would you think, like, you, you told her already, and then when you, you, again, right, you wake up, it's tied up with strings, ah, Philistines are here, and, you're, and he's just like, oh, no problem, right? I'll just go out and handle it. Like, why would you think that? You know, I think, I think perhaps over the years, Samson began to believe that he really is strong in himself no matter what, not because God is with him. And that's why at that point he thought, no problem, tied up, even though I told my secret, even though I told about the hair, and my hair is cut off, I can handle it. Look at, look at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, and his strength left him. When his hair was cut, his strength left him. And verse 20, such a sad verse. He did not know that the Lord had left him. His strength had left him because the Lord had left him. You see, his strength was the Lord. There was nothing else. There was none of Samson. Apart from God, he could do nothing. 
zero strength on his own. And I think he had forgotten that. And so Samson was defeated by a woman and a nap. And the point is not that naps are evil because they're great or that women are evil because they're great. I, I think perhaps it was that women um, were underestimated. You know, they were thought of as not, not really a danger. In the same way, we underestimate sin, we underestimate temptation. And then one day we wake up and we find that we are bound, bound up in bronze shackles. That's what the Bible says. See, Samson was playing with fire and he thought that he was strong enough, but he got burnt. I mean, surely, you would have, surely he would have realized that he has a weakness, a weakness for women, a weakness for Philistine women. But, but he, didn't do, he didn't deal with it. He didn't do anything about it. And he continued to flirt with danger. You see, people who are intent on pleasing God, they don't take unnecessary risks with regard to sin. They don't live on the edge, close to the line, and flirt with danger and flirt with sin. And that's why I tell you not to start dating so early. Because you will inevitably put yourself in positions and situations where you come under pressure and sexual temptation. In fact, I don't know why Samson was always hanging out in Philistine territory. Right? This, all these chapters, that's all we see. He's always there in the Philistine territory. And therefore, I guess that's why he keeps seeing and being attracted to Philistine women. You know, if you know that that's your weakness, don't go there. A lot of things are not sinful in themselves, but if they make you sin, then just stay away, right? If you, if you find that going clubbing exposes you to sexual temptation, don't go. If you find that looking at certain Instagram accounts or watching certain shows make you have these impure thoughts, don't watch, don't look, unfollow, delete. And that is why Jesus has such extreme words in Matthew 5. He said, cut off your hand or cut off your eye if that is the thing that causes you to sin. Right? Whatever it is that leads us astray or makes it difficult for us to follow God, whether it is certain habits or certain music, um, certain friends, if it's leading you to sin, get rid of it. Martin Luther, do you know who he is? Martin Luther said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting there. Do you understand that? that? There'll be temptation, there will be struggle, it's inevitable, but you can try your best to avoid it and run from it. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Christians who have some very extreme rules for themselves. Like there is a, I, I know um, some churches in Singapore, um, all their pastors don't drink at all. No alcohol. Um, Billy Graham, right? You know, Billy Graham had a rule. He wouldn't, meet, he wouldn't meet with or have a meal or even travel alone in a car with any woman other than, alone with any other woman other than his wife. Okay? Uh, I don't know if you read the news. Um, the US Vice President, Mike Pence, he has a similar rule. He doesn't eat with any woman alone uh, who's not his wife. Even in our own church, you know, there is a, one of the, the male pastors um, who, if you're female and, and obviously not his wife, and you're sitting in his car with no one else, you can't sit in front. You have to sit at the back. Now, 
I don't know what you think um, of all this. And by the way, all these people don't say like, oh, everyone must do this if not it's a sin, right? It's just their, their own personal conviction, okay? Their, their personal rules. And, and I don't know if, whether you think these things are like crazy and too extreme. Um, Mike Pence came under immense criticism in the US uh, for, his, for his rule, right? People said like, oh, come on, as if men have like zero self-control, you know? Surely men are not animals. They can handle it. They're strong enough. Right? It's like, oh, if this is the rule, like how will a woman ever get promoted because he's the VP and, and all that kind of things, right? A lot of criticism for trying to avoid any hint of inappropriateness. Now, what I want to say is not that we should come up with these extreme rules, but I think that these decisions that these people have made are perhaps examples of the kind of extreme measures that Jesus was talking about when he said, cut off your hand. Extreme measures, right? You see, I think what these people realized is that we are all fallen, sinful human beings who really don't need very much encouragement to sin and specifically to fall into sexual temptation or sexual sin. And so these people are trying to do the exact opposite of what Samson did, right? Samson was like, la, 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 in Philistine territory all day, just hanging out there. But these people, they run so ridiculously far away from enemy territory. They don't want to be anywhere near the place of temptation. In fact, they set up all these like crazy barriers that they are super far away from any compromising position. They are so far away that the world is like, you see how uh, it's too ridiculous. It's too extreme. But these ridiculous sounding rules are grounded in a desire for godliness and holiness and absolute purity, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Because it's not a sin to drink alcohol. It's not a sin to have lunch with someone who's not your wife, right? It, I mean, it's not a sin to sit in a car alone with someone who's not your spouse. It's not that these things are sinful, but it's kind of like what the Nazarites do. It's not a sin to cut, to, to cut your hair. It's saying no to normal things so that you stay so far away from the point where you will be lured away from God. It's about not living on the edge flirting with danger. It's not about asking, okay, what's allowed? Tell me the rule. Tell me the line and I won't cross it. It's like, oh, I'm going to stay so far away, I can't even see the line. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from Samson is to take our own sinful nature seriously. You know, don't, don't keep thinking, I'm fine. I'm fine here in the Philistines' territory. You know, I'm fine, even though this psycho woman keeps tying me up with rope. I'm fine, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. And the Bible's like, don't think like that. I, I don't know if you can identify with Samson on, on any level or whether you just think like, wow, this guy is, this guy is just dumb, man. But the truth is that in this area of sexual sin and sexual temptation, all of us, all of us are weak. And you know, when you're not in the situation and you're rational, you can say, wow, he's very stupid, you know. I get tricked by the woman. But I tell you, when you are blinded by your feelings and, and your attraction and, and your hormones, it's very easy to fall. It's, it's human nature. And I think Samson's story is a reminder of how sex or sexual temptation or even just sexual attraction can profoundly distract and derail us spiritually. And very often, we, we think like Samson. We think, I can handle it. I'm strong enough, you know, when things start to get serious, then I'll break up. You know, now I'm, you know, we're just having fun. 
Like, oh, why must we open the door when I'm alone in my girlfriend's room? Why can't we travel alone together? We're strong enough. We can handle it. We have enough self-control. You know, I, I won't get addicted to these sexy images. I just look once, just look once. That's it. I have enough self-control, you know. Or like, oh, I can watch this show with all these like nude scenes or sexual scenes and I, I won't be affected. I'm strong enough. You know, it's NC-16 and I'm 16. I can handle it. Famous last words. And you know, if I can say something specifically about dating non-believers. You know, Samson had relationships with these non-believing women. And I know quite a few Christians who, who, who dated or are dating non-believers. And very often, they stop coming to church or they fall away from God because their priorities have changed. Um, for some of these people, they go on to marry the non-believers. And, you know, their, their Christian friends and their family will always kind of like, advise them, please rethink your decision. And they will say, don't worry, don't worry. I can handle, you know, we... Don't worry, like, that's what my friends say. Don't worry, we already agreed and we promised that even after marriage, he will not stop me coming to church. I can bring the kids to church and all that. It's okay. Um, sometimes that happens. Very often it doesn't. At some point, they stop coming to church. Or maybe they just come in once in a while. But the point, the point is not about maintaining church attendance. It's very hard to keep pursuing Jesus when your closest relationship, your spouse, doesn't know him and doesn't encourage and spur you on in your spiritual life and when you, the two of you cannot grow together spiritually. You see, in, in a Christian marriage, it's like this, right? I, I, I love Jesus. Husband loves Jesus. And then, um, you know, he, he, help, he helps us love each other. Right? It's like a triangle, right? It's a balanced triangle. But if a believer marries a non-believer, one side loves Jesus, the other side has no relationship with Jesus, it's Right? It's not closed. The triangle is not closed. It's not balanced. And that's why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked. Do not be yoked together, which is like stuck together. Do not be cleaved into one flesh together, in a mar- like in a marriage relationship with unbelievers, because it will be like this. Next slide, please. It will be like yoking a donkey with an ox. Right? By the way, there's, there's a law in Deuteronomy that, that says don't do this. Don't plow with an ox and donkey yoke together. It just doesn't work. Right? Because they're two different animals. They, you know, they won't be moving in the same direction. They, they won't have the same speed. They, they have different strength. It just doesn't work. And you know, can I just say that as, as a pastor and, and a leader, whenever I hear of someone dating or even marrying um, a non-Christian, my first response is, it's really not like anger or judgment or, or whatever. It's more like, oh no, are we going to lose him? Are, are we going to lose her? Right? Like Samson, like, oh, God wants to do great things in this person's life, but what's going to happen now? And you know, this area of relationships, dating, sex, it's, it's an area of great weakness for many people. And we have to realize that we are weak. We are weak. Don't think you're strong. And the devil knows that this is an, an area of weakness for many. Right? It is a common reason for people falling away from God. Just think of how even King David, man after God's heart, right, beloved king of Israel, God was using him greatly. Even he fell. He saw a pretty woman, wanted her, didn't care that she was married. And that was his great epic mistake. The start of disaster in his life 
and in his family, the generations to come. King Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man, right? And God poured out so much blessings on him. He married 700 wives, 300 concubines. That is not wise at all on any level. And these two are examples of how God-fearing men, right? They were going in the right direction. God-fearing men, but they allowed their lives to be destroyed by giving into their sexual attraction and sexual temptation. And that's why we have a series like this. You know, it's, it's not to give you a bunch of rules, tell you, like, make sure you don't have fun and all that, but to say, hey, marriage, sex, it's great, it's great. It's God's idea. Look forward to it. Hold out for it to fully and really enjoy it. But in the meantime, in the meantime, watch out for sexual temptation. Watch out for sexual sin. You know, any form of sex, including porn, masturbation, all these things, any form of sex outside the context of marriage is counterfeit sex. It's not real sex. And any relationship that is not honoring and not centered in God can majorly derail you spiritually. So please, Lao Jen, I, I urge you to be wise and to be careful. Please take sin seriously. Sexual sin, you know, this area of dating and relationships, take it seriously. And, and don't be a lone wolf like Samson. You know, talk to fellow Christians about it. Pray with people about it. Have a, have a group of friends who, who you can be accountable to and who will call you out when you do stupid things like let a woman tie you up so many times. Listen to godly counsel from your parents, from your leaders, and be prepared to take drastic actions, extreme measures to guard your purity and guard your holiness in this area of sex, dating, relationships. Right, just now we said the Bible says, guard your heart, guard your affections. Everything that you do flows from it. So Samson had great spiritual potential, but he failed to live up to God's calling upon his life because of his pride. He didn't take his sin, he didn't take his, serious, his weaknesses seriously, and he ended up blinded and in chains. But that's not the end of the story. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's hope. There's always hope. Uh, next, next slide, please. So we're going to look at Samson's prayer, okay? Look at chapter 16, verse 23. Now, this is Samson at his lowest point. Pretty sure this is his lowest point, Okay? The Philistines are like having a party. They're worshipping their God in their pagan temple. They see Samson blinded, you know, formerly the strong man, and they're just like mocking him, laughing him, saying like, oh, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. Look at this blind loser now. You know, verse 25 says, they bring Samson out for entertainment. He's become a joke. He has to perform for them. I mean, what was he supposed to do? Sing? Dance? It's completely humiliating. Pretty sure the lowest point of his life. But in the depths of his despair, Samson mustered up a tiny bit of faith. And he comes up with a plan and he makes this final prayer to God. He says, remember me, strengthen me so that I can take revenge on these Philistines. And he offers up this last prayer to God in faith. 
you know, I'm pretty sure it took faith to push those pillars, right? I'm pretty sure he was not sure whether he was as strong as before. Because verse 22 tells us that the hair on his head had begun to grow again. But I'm pretty sure it hadn't grown back to its original seven-braid glory, right? So I think when he pushed, it really took faith. But by faith, he cried out to God and he pushed. And you know, I believe this is why he made it to the Hebrews 11 roll call of faith. Next slide, please. This wild, violent, crazy playboy made it to the list of heroes of faith alongside people like the prophet Samuel, alongside, you know, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Bible says that through faith, these people, including Samson, did all these amazing things and their weakness was turned to strength. You know, Samson is famous in, in history and culture for being a strong man, right? But really, his story is one of human weakness because the strength is all from God. God is the real hero in Samson's story. God is the real strong man. And God turned Samson's weakness into strength. You know, if you look back at chapter 14, verse 4, right, after Samson demands, get her from me, I, I feel like the writer of Judges feels a need to insert a comment in brackets, almost as if to say like, oh, don't worry, this guy is really messed up, but God is still in control, right? Verse, ch uh, chapter 14, verse 4 says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an, an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel, right? See, God can use even our disobedience and dumb mistakes to work out his purposes. That is his amazing grace that we see throughout the Bible. Because if we think that God only uses, you know, good and, per and morally superior people for his purposes, then we haven't understood the whole idea of grace. In fact, if you look at the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, the entire list there, um, and, and even if you look at the entire book of Judges, right, you will see that God uses imperfect people all the time. All these human judges in the book of Judges, right, they are imperfect. How many of you have read the book of Judges? Why, why are you embarrassed to read the book? Yeah, how many of you have read the book of Judges? <laughs> okay, you know, um, all these people like Barak, remember Barak? Like, uh, I don't dare to go to battle unless the woman comes with me. If you go there and go, you don't go, I don't go. That's Barak, okay? Uh, Gideon, right? At first, you're so scared, so scared. And okay, he becomes a mighty warrior. But do you read the end of Gideon's story? He falls into idolatry. He marries, like, I don't know, 70 wives or something like that, right? And, and this guy, Jephthah, I mean, what is his problem? He makes a silly vow and he has to burn up his daughter. But you see, God works with and through the inadequacies and the failures of all these human judges. Go read the book of Judges. Interesting. You know, in Judges, in fact, there is a pattern. Okay? Next slide. Throughout the book, we see this happening to the Israelites. Next slide, please. Right? First, there is apostasy. Okay? Which means turning away from God. Renouncing God. Okay? Then, because they, they turn away from God, they will get conquered by the enemies like the Philistines. So they are in bondage. And then because they are in bondage, they will cry out, oh God, help us, help us. But when they are in trouble, then they realize, oh, actually we need God. And they cry out to God. Um, just like Samson, right? When he realizes he's in trouble. And God in his mercy will raise up a deliverer. Right? Like all these judges, okay? 
Uh, and Samson was supposed to be um, a deliverer. And to, to be fair, he killed a lot of Philistines, right? And then there will be a deliverer, and then there will be a time of ease, peace. But then soon, they were again, apostasy, bondage, right? Like, look, A, B, C, D, E, right? And, and it just goes over and over again. This is the pattern in Judges. But really, if you think about it, this is the pattern of Israel in the entire Old Testament. And if you think about it, isn't this the story of our lives as well? That's how we're like as well. You know, this week as I was preparing this sermon, I, I think this Samson story really spoke to me and really encouraged me greatly to know that just like God could use a hot mess like Samson, that God can still use me, even though I, I fall short as, as a leader, as a pastor, as a Christian, in so many ways, God can still use you. And as we read the Bible, we will see God's undeserved mercy for His people time and time again. You know, His faithfulness, His, His infinite patience for people who keep screwing up. And that is grace, pure grace. And that is our God. And thank God that He is like that. Thank God that He works with deeply flawed people and He doesn't expect for us to clean up our mess before He can use us. Right? Thank God that the church is meant to be not a club for like saintly, holy, holy people, but a hospital for sinful failures like all of us. Because our failures are not God's failures. However big a mess we get ourselves into, even when it's our own stupid fault, we worship a God who never lets us down when we cry out to Him. That's what we sang just now in a song. And that's all it took to turn the story around when Samson cried out to God in faith. And actually, even in Samson's last prayer, right, I feel like we can still see the sense of his vengeful nature. He wants revenge, right? He says, please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. And yet, God still answered. He even answers our self-centered cries for help when we eventually turn back to Him. And that is amazing grace. And today, if you're struggling with some sexual sin, or you're struggling with some relationship issues, or you just feel like a failure in general, turn to Jesus. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for us. And you know, we have this grace because we have a real hero who is perfect. We'll have many heroes of faith, right? People in the Bible, maybe you'll meet some leaders, some people whom you, know, you, you respect and all that. But everyone will still be imperfect. Everyone will still fail in some way because we're all human. And the Samson story, like the entire book of Judges, shows us that there may be human deliverers, um, heroes for a season, for a time, but they're all also flawed. And so ultimately, we still need a divine rescuer, a leader who will never fail. And this points us to the real hero, the real judge, the real savior, and the real deliverer. You know, if, if you think about Samson's, um, you know, you think about Samson's birth story, you think about how he was betrayed for pieces of silver. I mean, does it sound familiar? This points to the real hero, right? And picture Samson at the end, right? His arms are stretched out. He is mocked by people. 
the enemies are gloating. They thought that he, they, they got him. And Samson is ready to sacrifice himself for his people. And he pulled down the pillars of darkness and he gains a much greater victory through his death than he did in his life. Does this sound familiar to you? Does this remind you of someone else? The one who died on a cross for us, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, for the joy set before him that we would be reconciled to him. That's why we were commemorating just now as we took the bread and the wine. His body broken for us, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, his sacrifice for us. And through Jesus' death, he gained a much greater victory because he rose from the dead. Right? He defeated all sin and darkness and death itself, such that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life and have abundant life and have the best life. And I want to say if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to believe this and accept this love and commit your life to the Savior, that the offer is always open. The story of Samson ultimately points to Jesus. And that's who we need to fix our eyes on as we go through life and especially as we navigate dating and, and relationships and, you know, sexual attraction and sexual desires. If you remember our 7 I Am series, right, in John 15, next slide please, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he can bear much fruit and apart from me, he can do nothing. Next slide, please. And I think today is a reminder for us. You know, don't be like Samson and think that you have any strength apart from God. If we do not remain in Jesus, if we do not keep walking close with Him in obedience, if we don't take sin and temptation seriously, we end up like Samson. He just did what he wanted. He did what he wanted, gone to relationships with no regard for God. You know, I guess Samson didn't think much of it, and he just assumed that God will, will be with him anyway. And that is what led to his downfall. And, and I share this story today because I think it applies particularly, you know, in this area of sex and relationships and, and dating, where so often we can be blinded by our own desires and our own attractions, and we just think, I know what I'm doing. I can handle it, okay? I'm strong if I know what I'm doing. And also the story of Samson is really a warning that it is possible to forfeit the divine calling upon our lives if we insist and persist in our own ways and in our disobedience. And as your youth pastor, I want to tell you that there is so much potential in each of you to be used powerfully by God. Even before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you, God set you apart, for his purposes and his glory. And so if you would die to yourself, lay aside your own desires, your wants, lay aside insisting on your own way, he can do so much with a life surrendered and set apart for him. So don't fall into spiritual adultery like Israel, like Samson. You know, don't, don't get derailed by entering into a relationship you know is not honoring to God. Like don't get derailed by your own sexual sin or your own desires and don't wait until you hit rock bottom to pray and cry out to God for help. Let's get the worship team up. You know, today as we, as we round off the last sermon in this series, 
I feel like we need to make a response to God. We need to respond to Him. I've shared with you God's plan, His original design for marriage, for sex, for sexuality. And today we talked about how our pride in, in pursuing whatever we want, regardless of what God says, is disastrous. And, and particularly as we think about the area of, of dating and relationships. But you know, um, the world will have a very different perspective. And the world will tell you very different things um, about sex, about dating, about relationships, about marriage. But as I keep saying, if we, if we profess to be followers of Jesus, if we say that we are disciples of Christ, then we must have His Word as the ultimate authority for our lives. It means that we must take direction and instruction from the Word of God and follow His ways, even if it's completely different from what the world and what our culture or our friends say. And, and we have to be prepared that increasingly, I believe increasingly, the world's views on, on sex and marriage and dating will veer further and further away from our Creator's original plan. But remember in the first sermon I shared Proverbs 14.12 with you, there is a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death. And we see this in the Samson story. And I invite all of you to stand. I'm going to sing a, a song of response. And, and as a ministry, Lao Chen, I want us to commit and pledge to be a generation, people who will be set apart for God, no matter what the world says. And, and really, no matter what we feel or what we want, we say, Lord, we cast down our idols, including our idol of self. And we say, God, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us be a generation set apart for you. Let us walk in your ways, and not in the ways of the world.
respond to God individually and say, God, I, I dedicate and I surrender this specific area of my life to you. Issues of who I will date, who I will marry, my sexual purity, my attractions, my desires. All this I surrender to you because I want to walk in obedience to your ways because you are my Lord and my King who loves me so much because I am your disciple and your follower, because you are my savior who gave it all for me. And I know, I know maybe for some of you, this is not an easy commitment to make. But you know, I tell you, if you make it now, before life gets complicated in terms of relationships and dating, if he will guide you and help you and lead you. He will lead you in the way that is best for you. So if that is your desire to honor Him and surrender to Him in the area of dating, relationships, sexual purity, I want to invite you to come up to the front. This area that we call the altar, come up to the front as a sign of that commitment. There's nothing magical about this place, about this altar. But if you are willing to make that commitment as you come up here, it is a signal to God and also to yourself that you are serious about this and you take this seriously and so as we continue to sing and worship if that is you and you would dedicate and devote yourself to the Lord I want you to come up and stand in front just as a sign of your commitment Let us now 
lift our souls to another. I'm just going to leave this, um, this area open, and if you want to respond, you can come up. And, and I want to encourage you to, let, let's sing this song really as a, a commitment to God and, and a declaration that, yes, God, we will be committed. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. We dedicate this area of our lives to you. So let's worship together. Now, Jen, let's sing this together.
Let us now lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob, who seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob. Afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are, and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how He loves us so! And oh, how He loves. the grace in his eyes if grace is an ocean we're all sinking so heaven meets up like a sloppy wet kiss and my heart turns violently inside of my chest I don't have time to maintain these regrets when Oh. 
So here I bow to lift you high, Jesus, be glorified in all things for all my life. I am yours forever, yours, God. thank you for your word that has all the answers to life. God, we thank you for your word that is relevant for every area of our lives. We thank you that God, you speak to us um, through your word and, and, and you reveal so much of yourself to us. And so God, we pray that God, just as Jesus, you gave your life for us, God, would we live our lives for you? Would we walk in obedience to your ways? And God, we pray that as a ministry, God, we dedicate ourselves and devote ourselves to you specifically in this area of dating, relationships, um, sexuality, sex. God, would you form and mold all our perspectives and our thoughts and our opinions and our views according to what you want, according to what your word says. And God, even when the world says something very, very different, God, would you help us to stand firm in, your convic in, in our convictions, God. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and help us to li live our lives in purity, in holiness, in obedience to you. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are patient with us even when we fail. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. We love you, we give you thanks, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, have a great week. We'll see you next week uh, as we do our Q&A. Okay?